Good to see all of you here this morning. You too. Thank you. (laughs) Let's get right to it. Let's uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we've looked at the last couple weeks of a major transformation, a man called Saul, which ultimately becomes Paul, one that wrote 13 different letters or epistles in the Bible, a miraculous fast-paced transformation. It's hard to believe that one could actually turn that quickly. Amazing, literally. Uh, We're going to look at a follow-up, a man that's really captured the first 12 chapters of Acts, even though we're not concluded with that yet. But he's one that there's a transformation that was very distinct, and yet it took a lot longer. It's a man that was, shall we say, he (laughs) had a foot-shaped mouth. (laughs) His name was Peter. He had a way of putting his foot in his mouth regularly. But there's something that's amazing when you start to look, taking of where he was and where he ends up, even we'll start to look today, unfolding the life of Peter. A transformation nonetheless. Let's uh, turn now to Acts chapter 9, and we will begin reading at verse 32. It came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. There, and there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed for eight years and was sick of the palsy. Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. It came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping, and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and he lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all of Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. and Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, it's good to be here. It's good to be in Your midst, having You with us. Father, there's nothing like being with You, praising You, worshiping You, lifting You up, realizing even more every day the cost that was involved with Jesus Christ having died for my sin, the one that took my sin and made me whole. Paid in full, completely, eternally. Father, how can we thank you enough? Father, as we engage once again in the Word, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would solely and exclusively be our teacher, that the Word would be saturating our souls and our minds, that we would be changed because of it. It's the most sure way, Father, for us to know truth. Father, we'll pray for you to take charge of this gathering, that we would be where you want us to be, Words would be spoken that would be pleasing to you. If anything is said, Father, that is not, that would quickly dissipate from our minds. 
Uh, Father, take us and use us. The life's journey is upon us, and there's only todays, there's no tomorrows. May we see a sense of urgency of getting about your business and being available and active. Now take the word, Father, to where you want it, to each one of us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's been quite a, quite a journey already. We're just in chapter 9 and seeing how God is working, beginning this brand new thing. We're gathered here today. You're part of the church if you've trusted Christ as Savior. You're here because of these events that took place. Acts is rich in the sense of unfolding the beginning of the church. Uh, even back in Matthew, we'll probably go back to that in a moment. But Matthew chapter 16, Jesus Christ uh, in speaking with Peter had asked him, he said, who do you guys, who do you say that I am? And Peter, literally prompted by the Spirit, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a good job, Peter. Got it. Nailed it, right? And then just a few sentences later, Jesus told him what was going to unfold, what was going to happen. He was going to be dying, being crucified, being betrayed. And he, Peter said quickly, No, 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 a thousand times no. And then the same Jesus that just a moment before had said, you, Peter, said exactly what's true. He said, get behind me, Satan. It's amazing. Look quickly, the turn. This transformation, it's a long one. Paul's, as we looked in the last couple of weeks, I mean, boom, he meets Jesus. You have that Jesus meeting thing going on? I mean, knocks him to his knees. Bright light, brighter than you can imagine. And he sees Jesus for the first time. The one that he had persecuted, the one he hated. The one that everything about his life was to thwart, to chastise, to persecute, to kill, to maim, to just wipe off the planet. He meets the boss. Have you ever had a come to Jesus meeting? I'd advise it soon if you haven't. Get it taken care of. It's got everything to do with everything. If you don't know Jesus personally today, don't let this day go away without you seeing the beauty of grace. Because he's paid in full if you accept that by faith. But Paul, that was one example. Peter has been a little bit more lengthy. <laughs> he's gotten a little more trouble. He's been a little bit dependent on self. And I picture Peter as being this big, burly guy. And you say, why do you say that? Well, you remember Jesus had told him to reside, to go to Galilee and wait for him. And Peter's being the active guy, which we'll talk about that in a moment, too. He's very involved, wasn't he? He was, he was a go-getter. Go, 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 go. And he said, I'm going to go fishing. I can't take, I got to go fishing. I got to go back to what I do. And what I do best is I fish. That's what I love to do. And all of you fishermen in the audience, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And he went fishing along with the rest of the disciples, and fished all night long. Caught how many? Absolutely nothing. Good job. Way to go. And then there's this guy on the shore the next morning, and he yells out of them, put your nets on the other side of the boat. I can't imagine the, the eye rolls taking place. With them. I think we've done that a couple times, haven't we? But they do. And all of a sudden, there's so much, they can't hardly get it to shore. And remember what it says? That they couldn't hardly get it. And Peter goes over and just really just rips it and takes it. That's why I think he was one beast of a man. But he also got in a lot of trouble. And he was depending upon himself so much of his early life, wasn't he? His weakest moment when he said, when Jesus Christ said, tonight you're going to all leave me. And he in his quote-unquote strength said, I will be with you even to death. And then Jesus said, 
before the, co the, the, the cock crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And he did. This is the same Peter that we're finding here that I've just read this about. This is the same Peter that in chapter 2 begins the, the ministry of the church, if you will. He speaks in a sermon that's amazing, and 3,000 people get saved. That's the same guy. That's the one that Jesus said, feed my lambs three times after he denied him three times. It took a long time, but you know what? This Peter has got it. He finally got it. And here he is. This is different now because every other aspect you've seen in Acts, Peter is in a crowd. He's the main course, if you will. He's the peace. He's the evangelist. He's the one that's engaged in speaking God's truth to a large group of people. That's who this guy has been. But you know what? It's like peeling the curtain back. We've watched Paul. Now, speaking of his Saul, I'm sorry, Saul turns into Paul. Uh, as we left last week, he's actually a bit on the shelf for a moment. Actually, probably three years for sure, he tells us in Galatians chapter 1, he goes to Arabia. And God is dealing with him individually. He's tuning on him. He's giving that overhaul, if you will, from the inside. But then, actually, Barnabas in chapter 11 goes to find him in Tarsus. That's where he grew up. That was hometown. And he was probably there probably another, probably three to five years. So he's on the shelf for a moment. But what we see now in the verses we've just read is like peeling a page back, and you're getting into the inside personal ministry of Peter. This is one-on-one -on -one stuff. This is what he's doing when he's not preaching big time. This would be like Charles Haddon Spurgeon on the rest of the week. Sunday, there's thousands gathered in front of him, and God's Word is expounded, and people are saved and, you know, built and growing. This would be the same thing. We're peeling a page back and seeing Peter in his individual daily life. That's what we want to see. That's what I want you to see. There's some principles here for us that are just as they work for him, they work for you. Your ministry. You're here because you are God's masterpiece. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are different. You are a brand new creation. You are a new creature in Christ. And it's not for you that you've been created, it's literally for God's work. He has created you as a workmanship or a masterpiece, journeying each step. Now, how many of you have said this? I think God's got a file on, on someday. Whew, that's a big file. Because a lot of us have said, you know, when I get done with this, someday I'll get to that. Someday I'll do that. Actually, there was a, a gentleman, I, I'm actually praying for him. It's, it's an interesting thing. He's, he's, he's really uh, enamored with the last days, of which we're actually in. As soon as Jesus Christ said it is finished on the cross, we began the last days at that point. Because the work was done, grace was, was literally packaged and given, and that was the beginning. And yes, as well, when we say last days, we're thinking of the very last days, the tribulation period coming. And when the rapture snatching us away, it's not a term that's in the Bible, and yet it's very clear. Uh, there's two comings. There's one where we meet Jesus in the air, those that have trusted Christ as Savior. And the second coming, he's literally going to land on the Mount of Olives, and that baby's going to split. That mountain is going to split when his personal presence lands. That's the second coming. That's coming. And it's not too far away. It would seem from all, if you just read, read or watch anything, it's like, Wow. How could it go any worse? And it does. <laughs> but God's in charge of that. He's, he's, his timetable is not thwarted by one second. 
And someone that tells me they know when Jesus is coming back, that will be the time he's not coming back. That's the only thing we know because nobody knows. Don't waste your time with it. But anyway, this guy I'm talking about literally is talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the end times. Boy, I want to get in on that. What are you doing today? You will never live a tomorrow. You will never live a tomorrow. That's out in the future. We're not future people. We're today people. That's literally what Peter, his life, you see him? He's just, he's a today guy. Today, today, today. Same for us. Let's take today and use it to our greatest advantage that God has given us to do. Well, uh, Laramie, I didn't even get with him before, but let's throw a map up on the wall of Israel. We'll see if we can find our, our uh, geography. Because um, we're in a little place, there's two terms that are called, there's Lydda, L-Y-D-D-A, and Joppa. And here we find Joppa right here. And so from Jerusalem would be downhill to Joppa. Now, we also found, it's not listed on this map, but about 10 miles, well, this would be southeast. Uh, it, there's about 10 miles, probably right in here, it would be a little town called Lydda. That's where we find our first miracle, if you will. Wow, look at this, two sets of glasses. I, I'm a, I got it now. They're multiplying up here. That's crazy. How did I do that, actually? What the world? Started with one, got two. That's good. Is God saying something? <laughs> At any rate, uh, Joppa would be a coastal area. It's still today. It's called Jaffa, and it's, it's literally a real city. If, if you have ever uh, went to Israel, you would have literally been in Lydda. Why do I say that? That's where the airport is to Tel Aviv. That is literally today on the place that Lydda would have been. It's about 10 miles from Joppa. Uh, Lydda would have been Gentile inhabited for the most part. But Peter, interesting, now we found in our previous engagements with him that they've been surrounding the Jerusalem area. And if you think if you were going to outline the spread of the gospel and all of the works of the Holy Spirit, literally it starts this way. Jesus Christ was crucified out the outskirts of Jerusalem. He hung on a cross there. So where would you, if your God, begin to do the work of building a brand new infrastructure? And that sounded a little bit too structurist, but a, a brand new um, dispensation. Let's go with that. A brand new program. Where would you start it? We probably would not start it in hometown where Jesus was crucified. I might go somewhere else, a little further away. Where does God? Boom! Right in the temple. The church has begun. Peter gives his first message, his first one at Pentecost, that which would have brought all the Jews from all around the world to gather for a whole different event. And all of a sudden, there's 120 people praying in a room, in the upper room, and they were filled and indwelt for the first time permanently with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues or languages, the word tongues in the King James, languages that literally those that would have gathered from all around the world knew their own language. From someone that didn't, that, my friends, is tongues. That's a language that's understood by someone that has, that's crazy. And never before had anything other than Hebrew been the language in which God's works were glorified. And they were in another language, many languages. But it started in Jerusalem, right there where the Jews rejected him. God went back and said, here's another chance, guys. Here's one more chance. Here's another opportunity for you to meet the Jesus you just killed two months before. Talk about being close by an event. You can imagine the conversations. What, what, what's this cult going on? This, this Christ thing, this Christians or whatever they call themselves? The way? Of, what, what kind of a joke is this? I mean, we just killed the guy. He's gone. He's over. That's how God does stuff. Boom. 
But now, how do you get it to go across the world? Because Romans chapter, I'm sorry, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, going to the outermost parts of the world. Told that to 11 apostles. You go get them, guys. Get them. In the name of me, you go get them. What? <laughs> that would be more daunting than for me to say to you guys today, today, here's our, here's our warm-up session. The world needs Jesus more than ever before. That's true. You guys go get them. Here's the baton. Go get them. Canvas the world. Get it evangelized. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. And you would say, okay. That was a daunting task. So what would be God's plan now from taking it from, this is the beginning of the church, Jerusalem. You're here today because they had that event at Feast of Pentecost. Peter spoke his sermon. People get saved. And the lights go on. But there's other places. In fact, it speaks of it in Romans Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Samaria was listed. How do you get people to go to Samaria with the name of Jesus Christ? Especially if it's going really well in hometown, right? Can you imagine how churchy that would have been? How much fun that would have been, that homey feeling? Everybody's getting saved. And they're, yes, they're in enemy territory. Don't get me wrong, because they're in the temple ministering and growing. But wouldn't it feel good? I mean, when a church is really growing and there's no sense of pressure... Oh, it's a good place to bask and to, right? You can feel it. You can feel the peace and harmony of that. But guess what's happening in Samaria? Nothing. <laughs> so you know how you get them to go to Samaria? Turn the persecution knob on. Enter the martyrdom. Martyrdom. That's why we, I'm going to get there. Uh, of Stephen. There's a man by the name of Saul that was really engaged in this whole thing. Big time. And he's going around stamping out this fire, and all he's doing is spreading. That's what persecution does in the world. You show me the church that's growing the fastest in the world, I will show you where it's the most persecuted. That's the way it works. Now, am I asking for persecution? No. <laughs> is it good for the Christian church? Yes. God moved into Samaria. We saw that in Philip. Thing just grows, and it's starting to move out at a massive rate. Now, there was something I wanted to point out. If you didn't think Saul was really a force to be reckoned with, uh, let's go back to your Bibles for a moment and turn to chapter 9 again and take a look at, we, we, you know, we talked about the transformation of Paul. You, you know what that's about. But then look at this. Um, verse 31, it said, well, verse 30 of chapter 9, which when the brethren knew they brought him, that's, Paul, that's Saul, down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. That's his hometown. Uh, is that even on here? Is Tarsus on here? Nah, not quite. It's okay, but it's, it's north quite a ways. Then it says this, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. You took one guy out of this picture and you know what things happened? Just quieted down. Think of the most diabolical, even, evil, satanically inspired person and there's a number of them living in our world. But if you could capsulize it in one and you pulled him out and all of a sudden there was peace in heart, that's the man Saul and what he, what he did in the sense of the church. He was amazingly powerful and zealous, sincerely wrong, but God got a hold of him. Now it's like turning the page. What's Peter doing? Well, they were engaged in, the apostles kind of stood around Jerusalem. Not stood around, no, 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 not stood around. They were involved, weren't they? It's one of the first things you're going to find about Peter is the fact the man was active. He was involved, very, very aggressive. Uh, what are you doing today? Are you involved in other people's lives? Or are you just kind of waiting, hanging out? And Oh, by the way, remember last week? I, I, I like to 
actively get engaged in things. But when's the last time that you got filled with the Holy Ghost? Now that means you're yielding to this. It's not some weird term. No, yielding to the Holy Spirit is being filled or being controlled by. I think of this, the best thing for me is to take a sail on a sailboat. Now you don't see what moves that ship, right? What moves it? The wind. The wind. It's full, robust, and it moves it. That's being controlled by the wind. You as a Christian should not be anything other than to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now this is what. Now if I, would, if, if I was going to say, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then just sit around. That doesn't even make any sense, does it? Every time there's a filling of the Holy Spirit where people are yielding to the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? There's activity. There's go get them. What can we do next? You know, right? You know, oh, this is so boring being filled with the Spirit. Oh my goodness. What are, you know, that's craziness, isn't it? It's crazy. And we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by. Using wine or alcohol is the opposite. Um, it's easy to see someone that is controlled by alcohol, isn't it? They are not even being, they don't even know who they are if it's to a level. They don't even know where they're at. They don't even know what they're engaged in. The Holy Spirit is the opposite of that. To be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit is absolutely the most, the most powerful thing that can happen to you as a Christian. And every single one of you that's trusted Christ, listen carefully. I know you know this because I've said it a million times. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit permanently indwelling you. Was that loud enough? I'll Good. So he didn't, he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. The question is, are you going to stick around with him? How much of you does he have? You have all of him. How much of you does he have? That's the big question. That's what Peter was really in his transformation in his life. Jesus needed to get more of him. There was a little bit of him that Jesus had early, right? Just a little bit. They were too busy trying to be powerful, being connected to money. It's about me, right? And I will never leave you. That's the weakest condition that you or any other person can be in is when you say, I, I will, I will. The most vulnerable, most weakened, the most unstable condition is when self is at the forefront of your mind. That's what Peter had to work at. That's what he had to get... Well, there's this little town, Lydda. Let's go to our text, Acts chapter 9. It came to pass as Peter passed through all quarters. He's traveling. He's getting around. And he, what is he doing? He says he came to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Now, that word saint, uh, depending on maybe some of the background that you've had or maybe what church you've grown up in, when you see saint, it's like an elevated level in a lot of cases. Um, and even if you just walk downtown and somebody says Saint Peter, it would be like raising him to another level and probably in more than likely the wrong level. Okay, because uh, it's interesting. Did you notice? No, we're not there yet. That'll be in Cornelius. Cornelius. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. That'll be for next week. So, but when it says saint in the Bible, it means to be separated, to be set aside for a purpose. Uh, imagine this, and it's easy for me because Paul's in the front row. I can pick on him. But So we have Saul that's transformed, and he will become Paul in a couple of chapters. He will become Paul the Apostle, the one that's, I mean, if, if, if there was someone that you wanted to look up to and respect with a great deal of reverence, it would be Paul the Apostle. But you know what? 
our Paul is just as much a saint as Paul the Apostle was. Because positionally, it's the same Jesus, it's the same blood, it's the same payment, it's the same grace. And positionally, you are all in Christ, then you are all saints. You don't pray to saints. We're all the same. You pray to Jesus. Isn't that good? And he's passing around just looking, doing his thing. And How's it going today? I can see him just, it would be a little church like this possibly. And Peter would say, how's it going in here? I just want to talk to you guys about Jerusalem. It is going good there. We've had some struggles. I've been in jail a couple of times, got beat up a little bit. But you know what? I'm trusting Jesus. He's got a plan. It's all about him. Because that's the second thing that really was really heightened in Peter's life, and it should be in ours, not only to be active and involved, but to be Christ-exalting. Everything Peter did from, I'm going to say from Pentecost on, it was all about Jesus. It was all about Christ. Lifting Jesus up. Lifting Jesus up. Lifting Jesus up. He did it everywhere. In fact, this man that we meet, Aeneas, which was in Lydda. Now, how they met, I don't know. But here's a man that had been sick in bed. I shouldn't say sick, but palsies is the word they use, or crippled. He was paralyzed for eight years, couldn't get out of bed. I don't know if there's anyone here in the midst of us today that has been literally bedridden for eight years or any length of time. That's really, really quite a deal. And you can feel it's a spiral down. I mean... Who's to say at eight years it's not going to be 15 years or the rest of your life? What would be the hope of this man, Aeneas? It doesn't look good, does it? It doesn't look good at all. In fact, his condition probably would have been viewed as permanent. Eight years? Take that times 365, and I didn't, but you get the idea. Every one of those days just was a continuation of a problem. He was paralyzed. He found a certain man in Aeneas, verse 33, which had kept his bed. He was in bed for eight years and was sick of the palsy or was paralyzed. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, thank goodness I'm here. I, Peter, have been healing a lot of people around the world. And you are so fortunate that I'm here today to heal you too. No, that is not what he said. That is not at all what he said. But it would have been easy to say. It couldn't have been. In fact, go back to chapter 5, same book, Acts chapter 5, and let's take a peek. Let's look at some things that were happening. And, and Peter was everywhere, wasn't he? He was in Jerusalem. He was in Samaria. He was everywhere. Verse 16. Now, actually, what had happened was Ananias and Sapphira, literally Peter took them on one-on-one, and they had lied to the Holy Spirit. They had lied to God, if you will, and they were taken out. Verse 15 of chapter 5, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities and round about on Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, then that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. You'd think that might have gotten to his head for just a moment. I mean, think of that for a moment. There are people that, there's Peter, let's see if we can just get in the shadow of him and maybe get our loved one healed. Peter leaves nothing undoubted back to chapter 9. He says, Jesus Christ has healed you. Isn't that good? Your lives should be exalting Christ every level, every place. There should be so... Well, John the Baptist, my favorite... I don't know. That, that to me, looks like tombstone material for me. John the Baptist said this, I must decrease, he, Jesus, must increase. That's the life of a Christian, literally. It's to make Jesus bigger and you smaller. 
not making you, shall we say, um, I don't want to say that, with no value. Oh, no, 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 no. He made you with value. And when you trusted him, your debt was paid in full, completely fixed and paid in full. Oh, you're, you have lots of value. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're nothing. He exalted Christ at every level. Now, I want to come back to Aeneas. So how big a deal was that? Let's say, no, just for a moment, slip into bed and you're paralyzed for eight years. And here's this man that you've never met before, or likely he'd never met before. He's come to your town. You didn't go to his for obvious reasons. And he sees you and he says, now you may have heard of him, by the way, because of the verses we've read. Have you heard of Peter, what Peter's doing? Maybe that was the inference that someone brought him to him. I don't know. But nonetheless, you've been there for eight years and this guy says to you, Jesus Christ has healed you. Right? Right? I mean, it's what? How do we know that? Well, Peter tells him to do something. And if there's true faith, there is obedience. Mark that down. Someone that says they have faith, no, follow, no obedience, there's no faith. Faith brings obedience. It's part of it. True faith has true obedience. Look at this. <clears throat> Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed. So what are you going to do if you're in bed for eight years? He just told me to get up and basically get out of bed. And because you know what he hadn't done for eight years was make his bed. He's in it. There's some women that would probably say their husbands don't know how to make their bed either. <laughs> just saying. He told him to get out of bed. And what did he do? I think about it. I don't feel like it. Is this, this right? It's easy to do, isn't it? Look, look at this. And he arose immediately. Situation handled, done, over with. He's healed. Now, not part way. In other words, if you keep taking these pills for another week or two weeks, you'll just get feeling better and better and better and better. No, no, no. That's not how Jesus Christ works. Boom! Positionally, when he, you trust Christ as Savior, you are paid in full. You don't work towards anything. You are his masterpiece at that point. You are his workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Aren't you glad it's not about you? Because if it was, it wouldn't work. That's what Peter's, that's why his life took so long to transform. He kept thinking he was the one in charge. Now look what happens. There's a few people that knew about our man, Aeneas. And it says that all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon, that's actually a valley. I don't know if it'll show it here. Does it show us um, Mount Carmel? Yeah, right here. Okay. If you see up right here. This, this area from here, there's actually a valley that would have went up. It was like 50 miles long, and that whole plain would have been known as the plain of Sharon. And it would actually, it's a beautiful, beautiful plaque. I haven't been there, but I'm responding to that. And that whole area, because of this one man that was cured of paralysis, look what it says. It says they, came, they saw him and turned to the Lord. Another great opportunity. And this is just Peter responding to God. He's, he's active, right? He's involved. He went to Lydda. There's a man that needs help. He exalts Christ. You know, there's one ability that only you can give. There's one, only one thing that God is really asking of you. Only one thing. You know what ability that is? Now, you might be thinking, what the world would that be? But this is one Peter was really, really good at. 
And again, through a course of time. And when you take I out of the picture, then it's freeing for you to be the one ability. That, it's the only one. And if you're not this ability, then you're missing out. If Peter did not offer this one thing, and if you do not offer this one thing as being Christian, then you're taking away from God the one thing that allows him to work through you and to make a magnificent difference in the world. Are you ready? Availability. It's the only thing that you have to offer. Think of that. Now, that's sometimes the hardest thing for God to get. To be available. I remember as a young man, and I was, uh, it's hard for you to imagine, but I didn't like to get in front of anyone. And the worst class for me was speech class. And you find that hard to believe, probably. Yeah, you're laughing, I know, especially Lisa. I couldn't do it. I, I, I mean, my knees would knock, and I, I, my voice quivered, and I just, it was the worst, it was the worst, I, I would take a beating before having to give a speech in front of anyone. It just, it just was, it was terrifying to me. And I still remember that Sunday, many, many, many years ago, that the Sunday school superintendent came, we were living in Paradise Valley, which 40 years ago today was a place that my best friend, we wrote our own vows and we recited them in this same church 40 years ago. And it wasn't for her being the most beautiful woman she was, but it was the beauty inside. And you that know her, kind of losing it, aren't I? <laughs> let's go back to my story. Let's go, let's go back to my story. Let's go back to my story. <laughs> so this guy in this same church, he says, Larry, I've got a little problem. Uh, I've got a class, and there's eight junior high boys, and there's one girl and the lady teacher is having a problem. She's struggling. You're just, well, I'll just say they're out of control. And I was thinking about you. <laughs> Who's he talking to? <laughs> you know, I, I, I have zero interest. I have never done this. I have no experience. I, I, this is out. This is out for me, right? But he said, would you consider it? And I'm thinking... I just did, buddy, and I'm out. (laughs) But I remember saying this, because this is so cliche, isn't it? You've probably used it, and I'm not going to point at you. I'll pray about it. (laughs) (laughs) Woo-hoo, right? That's the deal. Because who could say you didn't, right? And on my way home, we just lived a half a mile from the church, and it's amazing how God took me there, right? It was crazy. We lived in North Dakota. Did I say that out loud? I did, didn't I? <laughs> and he lands us in beautiful Paradise Valley. How many of you have been to Paradise Valley? It's a gorgeous place. It really is. It's changing a little bit more. Too many houses, too many weeds for me right now, but it's a beautiful, beautiful place. The mountain range is f- spectacular. I saw myself falling down the first year I was there more because I kept looking up and I'd trip over stuff, right? It's gorgeous. And there I am, a half a mile from a place that really was the, my mentor. There was two great men there that pastored that church that literally, one of them, I'll say this out loud because I said it, in my life and your lives as well, I know there's difficult moments, there's difficult time periods of which you go through. And I still remember Maynard Matthewson saying this to me over the desk. And it was a tough time. And he said, Larry, tough times will either make you better or they'll make you bitter. And it's your choice. 
And I don't know what I even thought at that moment, but what he said is great words of wisdom. He and Warren Wiersbe, now that's a name that you probably all would have known. He and Maynard were close, close, close friends. I was gifted to be able to be close to a man close to Warren Wiersbe. And it was, it was great, great, great. It was a great time. But anyway, back to the story. I'm getting too much about myself again. So I said to Denny, I said, yeah, I'll pray about that. And, you know, it was like, hmm. I'm driving home a half mile, and just before getting home, there was this inner voice. Do you have this thing? It's loud sometimes. It wasn't verbal. It was, are you really going to pray about it? Who said that? But I tell you what, I did. I prayed about it. And here was the key for me was I came back the next week and I told Dennis, I said, I don't know if this is going to last for five minutes, for one day. I don't know, but I've made myself available. What I want you to understand, if this isn't right, then it isn't right. And he said, that's exactly what I wanted. And that gift just exploded. Those eight boys were my boys. It was great. It was great. But there was, you know, but the key was none. I didn't bring anything to it except the one thing God wants, and that's availability. That's the only ability he wants. The rest of it is useless. It's useless because I got to be in his power. I got to be in his time. I've got to be in his schedule. And I got to be in his will. But I have to be available. He can't make me available. Do you see the power in that? And it's your choice. Peter was available, right? He shows up at Lydda. Here's this man. He needs healing. He heals him. And then the whole region is canvassed with change. They come to know Jesus Christ. Boy, those three things seem so almost too easy, don't they? Be involved. Get in other people's lives. Just get out there. In fact, I want to go to a story right now. It's out of the Bible. And talk about a daunting task. Uh, it used to be in the Mediterranean times that when there was a, uh, let, let's go back 40 years, uh, my father and mother would have figured out who for me to marry. Okay? They, they did that stuff. And it brings back to my mind that Lisa was actually working for a neighbor ranch, um, the O'Hare Ranch. And if you go south where those big blue silos in Paradise Valley, it's still there. There's family still there. And I remember my dad coming home one time and he says, Larry, there's a girl. She was actually cutting bolts off of a silage on loader. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and we're driving home from church, and she happened to be in church that day, right? And he says, I don't know. And I said, I've noticed. <laughs> that was it. But it was sort of like this, you know what I mean? He was, he was interested in, did, you know. That it's, well, in Mediterranean times, it was much more serious than that. And let's, for instance, say that you were the servant of a man who had a son that needed a wife. And he was very, very concerned that he get the right wife. And he's given you the job to find her. Are your eyes rolling yet? That actually happened. So let's go to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24. Let's meet this man who is too removed... From the standpoint of, it wasn't for his master, it was for his, for his master's son. Genesis chapter 24, and let's take a look. Genesis 24, and let's take a look here. I'm going to have to cut through some of it. But essentially, this man was Abimelech. 
And Abraham told him that Isaac needs a wife, and I do not want one of the women from around here. I, I want someone that we know is God-fearing, that is interested in the things that we know is, are important, and I want you to go find her. And I would have been, what? What? Are we, what? Is that overwhelming? Sure it would be. Think of your life. Just take the last week or the last month or the last year. Has there been something that's been so overwhelming to you when it first hits you? Like, I can't handle this. Sure there is. Of course there is. It happens all the time. That's a great place to be. But notice, and I'm going to cut right to the chase, he is out there. He's involved. That's the word we would use. And in chapter 24 and verse 27... Something is here. He's found this girl, and he says, verse 27, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. First of all, who is he, who is he really thanking right now? Is it because so, he was on a dating website, and he's looking, oh, there she is. Look, that's perfect. They line up perfectly. Isaac and, what's her name? Rebecca, right? Oh, what a match. I've got it. No, 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 no. Where's he going? What's he doing? He's out watering camels. That's a great place to find women. <laughs> but he's looking for character, isn't he? He's looking for character. And here's this girl, this woman, that literally makes herself available to water his stock. And it's like the lights go on. But let's look at this now. Talk about available and being involved. Verse 27 continues to say, this, this line, this is so good. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. I being in the way. You know, if you want to be in the way of the Lord, that's a great place to be for him to guide you. That's perfect. Why don't you try being in the way of God? Just get out there, get involved in other people's lives. Whatever it is. He will lead you. He will guide you. Ladies, is, we, have, we, have, we have ladies that are gathered for prayer here. What a fantastic thing that's going to be. We're going to talk about prayer in a moment. Now I'm going to talk about right now. Because that's another attribute of, of Peter that's phenomenal. We're going to find it in this rising of Dorcas. But let's talk about it right now. The success of any church, of any advance spiritually, is based on prayer. Prayer is saying, we can't do it. God, you have to show us. You have to give us the power. You have to unfold for us where we go next. I can't tell you how many times I dropped to my knees in desperation almost. God, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what. And he says, perfect. That's perfect because that's where I want you. Five years ago, I was leaning against the wall of an emergency room. Lisa had collapsed the second time. She was comatose. And I beat the ambulance back. I remember saying, I just said, I don't know if I can do this again. And I got a little voice in my heart, in my head said again, he said, do you think you could do it with me for five minutes? See, that's perfect. That's all we're required to do is just do what we're asked to do. Don't make it too big. Do you want to get over, overwhelmed and depressed? Think about the next year and all the stuff that's going on or take a look at our world from the viewpoint of, the, of, this, of just society in itself. He's, ah, there's no hope. No, your hope is in God. 
just one, if, if, so I had a, you see what I'm saying? God broke it down to a five-minute interval for me, and I was okay with that for that day. Sometimes it's an hour. Sometimes it's literally just a few seconds to get your bearing and say, God, I'm, I'm right there with you because you're with me. That's where he wants you. I being in the way. Isn't that great? And he went home just full of peace and joy. I'm talking to that servant, right? What a great place to be. And now my mind went blank because I was going to go somewhere with Peter. Oh, we were talking about prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My next story. And you're saying, hopefully you're last. (laughs) Prayer. Whatever you think of prayer, you probably don't do it enough. Okay? That's no no judgment, no. um, But when you call it prayer, I think that's already the wrong perspective. Okay? If you're going to have your prayer time, you've got the wrong idea. It's my talk to God time. That's all the time. Unceasingly. Just never stops. God, what do you want to do right now? Hey, thank, thank you for that answer, right? And we've had, this last week has been, woo, what a bear cat, right? I was trying to get a Monday out of the way. It took the rest of the week to decide that Monday was the best day. It was wild. It was wild. It was like a Monday on steroids. It's the 15th power. It was crazy. I could go on, but I'm not going to do that. And you've had weeks like that, haven't you? It's just the way it is. That's life. Prayer. Prayer is just talking to God, saying, I don't know, but you do. Help me know what to do next. And not, not for the rest of your lifetime. That's too much. In fact, if you would have had, if I would have taken the last 40 years, you say, and just saw that all right then, <laughs> I'd have gave up. But with God five minutes at a time, guess what? Here we are. And the future is the same. Today is the day we're going to live, and we're going to work with this day that God has given to us. Isn't that great? That's good stuff. And you know, someday, which is eternity, that's tomorrow, that is tomorrow, the day that I will walk into or be carried into heaven and literally I want to fall at the feet of my Savior Jesus Christ and see his wounds in his hands that he he did for me. I want to worship him. We could do it today too, but I mean physically to be in the presence of my Savior. I'm looking forward to that. But we're here today. we got work to do. We're supposed to be available. Let's be involved. The story I was going to tell you was there was five young men that went to a church in England. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon's church, and they had heard great things about it. And they got there early because they wanted to maybe get a seat. It was one of those places. So you guys really don't have to come early because there's always a front row available here, right? <laughs> you can come really late, and those babies are open, right, Paul? Right. It's not reserved either. <laughs> that, that's open. That's open. But these guys show up early, and they're there, and kind of waiting around. And all of a sudden, this man shows up. He just walks up. He says, hey, guys, uh, good to see you. Would you like to see the heating apparatus of this building? And they're saying, not really. But, but you know, he's a nice guy, so let's go do this. Let's go let's see what he's, you know. You guys want to see the heating apparatus? <laughs> what? What is going on here? But they dutifully follow it, and they go downstairs, and they walk through a long hallway, and then they turn into this room. And this man says, he says, this is the heating apparatus. There were 700 people on their knees praying for the service. It's going to be, that's the heating apparatus of anything. Talking to God. It's his power. They found out later, do you know who the guide was? Unannounced? Charles Haddensburg. Steve was like Peter. Isn't that cool? It wasn't him. It was all about God. 
That's prayer in the right perspective. Lift up Jesus. Lift up Jesus. Back to, uh, we're going to move to, we're going to move towns. We're in Lydda. Peter's still in Lydda. But something's going on in Joppa. And Joppa is about 11 miles away. 11 miles away. Let's go to our text and let's take a look. Acts chapter 9. I'll get back there in a moment. And this is what the second part of Peter's display. It says, now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works. And I meant the word full to be meant full. Full of good works and alms deeds which she did. She was actively involved in helping those around her. Now, keep in mind, there was no government aid then. This was a, this was a Roman-run world. And widows, those that were in bad shape, financially, there was no help. So the church's responsibility, literally to those that did not have family members to help their own, they stepped forward and created whatever was needed for the family or, or for the widow to be taken care of. This is what Tabitha or Dorcas did. It came to pass, verse 37, in those days that she was sick and died. Ooh, that's a bad, that's a bad ending. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. Now stop for a moment. You've just read that and you don't see anything weird there. That's weird. That's really weird. If you are a Jew living in Israel, one thing that would in this entire region is they did not embalm a body. So they quickly... Quickly, and I mean quickly, prepared it for burial, and boom, it's in the grave. That's how it worked. Are you ready for what they did? They washed the body, and they put it upstairs. Hmm. What are we doing here now? This is weird. But let's keep going. For as much as Lydda was nigh, 11 miles away to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. What do they have in their mind? Really? <laughs> yeah, really. They said it's worth a shot. I mean, what, we could use a lot more of Dorcas. We could use a lot more of this Tabitha doing what she's doing. She, she was fantastic. So they put her in the upper room. Upstairs, they send two guys to go to Lydda. Now, again, if you're Peter and you get this message, hey, Peter, 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 we're here because there's a bunch of widows, there's a bunch of ladies that want you to go to Joppa now. And I mean, it's really emphatic in the Greek. Now, now. Because one of their favorite helpers, their favorite deaconesses, if you will, just died. And they want you to come. And, you know, I'll tell you what. Why don't you get back? I'll tell you what. Here's what you need to do. This is Peter. Well, I'll tell you what you do. Just tell, tell the widows, the little group, their society, that I'll be praying for them in their loss, and I'll really try to just lift them up. Doesn't that sound good? What did Peter do? Boink! Vroom! Runs. I think he pretty much ran into Joppa. Gets there. Now watch what they do. They surround him. This is a, this is a ladies' group. 
When then Peter rose, verse 39, went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper room, upper chamber. I'm sorry, all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made and while she, and while she was with them. Okay, um, I don't know what that looked like exactly, but my mind is maybe racing a bit. It would be like a group like this. That's all of a sudden Peter's come in and they're surrounding him. You, Dorcas made this coat for you. Can you believe it? And she's gone. You know, it just goes on. I can't imagine, you know, right? It would have been a little bit overwhelming. He goes upstairs, verse 40, and he put them all out. Got to get the room quiet. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Remember when he raised that? He was actually said some of the same words. Talitha, put them all out. And Peter, what did he do? He prayed. That's what he did. That's just who he was. He prayed. It says right there. I have it underlined in my Bible because I want to make sure I don't miss that. He kneeled down and prayed and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter sat up. Now that, I don't know who'd be more surprised. I feel really bad for Tabitha right now because it's probably 36 to 48 hours that she's been deceased. Living in the upper room, if you will. Why do I feel sorry for her? Because she won there. I can't imagine what that was like in heaven. Ooh, you like what you see, don't you? Um, we got some work to do back down there. And right now, the best way for us to evangelize, to save more people so they can come here later, is for you to go back and keep doing what you were doing. <laughs> I'm going to vote no. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, God would have known her heart, too, that it would have been perfect for her to be able to just continue to engage and minister. What a view that must have been, knowing from the rest, for that for the rest of her life, when she finally did pass away, knowing what it would be like. That glimpse of heaven must have been something. But she comes back, and we're not told, but I know her well enough to know that she was full. That's just what she did. Can you imagine the joy and peace that must have surrounded that group of those ladies, seeing that Tabitha came back? What did Peter do again? He was available. He was involved. He exalted Christ, and he prayed. Those four, four, there's actually one more we're going to find next week when we get into the centurion. The, this, this, and talk about a change in Peter's life. I'm not going to get into it today, but how many of us sometimes are not yielded to doing what the Spirit wants because of some walls that have went up, some prejudice, some bias, some, something that keeps us from being open with? And I'll tell you the one that was king on that. There's actually an Old Testament book written about him. His name was Jonah. You know where Jonah was when he got the message? He was in Joppa. Exactly the same place as Peter literally raised this one up, this Dorcas. And there's something else that's going to happen in Joppa. He's going to be staying with a man that was called Simon the Tanner. Now, for me, a tanner doesn't really mean much to me. Other than, you know, if you're into the, uh, what am I trying to say, uh, there we go. Thank you. A taxidermy world or, you know, just the maker of, of different rugs or, tan, you know, all of those things. Leather works, all of that. It requ- and I just saw this, what I see. But now you have to be careful to understand, again, the customs that were in this, this day and age. If you were a tanner, did you know that literally the Mishnah, which would have been the Jewish rules and ceremonial laws that was put together by, the, you know, the, the, the muckety mucks, that if you were the wife of a tanner, you had the right to divorce him. 
because he was living in the realm of dead things. That's the other reason. If someone died, they quickly put them and buried them. There was something about that, that the whole custom surrounding it, they didn't touch dead things. They didn't. You were unclean. It was ceremonially unclean. So think of that. Here's Simon. I'm I'm sorry. That's weird, isn't it? It's Simon Peter, and then he's living with a guy, Simon. So Peter is residing for many days with a guy that is a tanner. These walls are starting to crumble. We'll find it in chapter 10, Cornelius. That's the next place. Let's see, we've evangelized Jerusalem, the Jews. They kind of finally just kicked us out. We've got Samaria. We're starting to spread out. But who's left? The part of the church that's you guys, the Gentiles. What will be the unfolding? And you know what? Peter's that gate opener. He's a door opener. In fact, let's go. I told you we would. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, as we start to wind down here. Matthew chapter 16. And, and there's some churches, are, are, you know, some people that get the wrong message here about Peter. Well, let's, let's take the passage and let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 16. And we'll start in verse 13. P- Jesus is asking a question. And he's going to really fulfill where Peter's role will be. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, who I the Son of Man am? And they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Now Christ, again, would mean the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one, the one that they're all hoping and praying for. The son of the living God. Ah, nailed it. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. God really revealed that to you. Now watch. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Now that word means rock, small rock. And upon this rock, which rock? The rock that he just said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living. On that rock, the sack that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the son of the living God. On that rock, that foundation, I will build my church. That's the first time Jesus ever says that. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now watch, this is Peter's role. And I will give unto thee, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven or the church. You know what he's been doing in all of this time in Acts chapter 2, 3, 5 and on? He's opening doors. He opened the doors in Jerusalem when he gave that, that uh, message, his sermon at, at Pentecost. He was the one that went up to Samaria. Now, Philip unfolded the salvation, but guess who came in and they laid hands on the Holy Spirit to prove that they're the same. Can you imagine him, the church of Samaria and the church of Jerusalem? Well, of course, they were different. The Samaritans were seen as half-breeds. Without Peter being an apostle, it would have went there in the, Holy, the same Holy Spirit that allowed them with the same power to be come together. Who was that guy? That was Peter. He opened the door. He's got the keys to open the doors of the church. What's going to happen next week, next, not there, but next week to us, is literally the Gentile world will be unlocked. It will be opened by Peter. Those words are, unf- are fulfilled in the transformation of Peter. There's something that's really interesting. In John chapter 21, remember Jesus came to them on that post-resurrection And he was going to give them instructions, but the first thing he had is clear away some bad vibes. Peter had denied him three times. I don't know what you, what you think of that. Have you ever denied Christ? I hope not, but we know inside we have. What does that feel like? But to do it publicly, and this is one of his disciples? Remember, and Jesus, ooh, this is, I mean, Jesus physically turned, one of the gospels says, and looked at Peter after the third time. And Peter went out and wept. Well, that's got to be taken care of. And Peter, 
and Jesus had this meeting. It wasn't, it wasn't like the Saul and Jesus meeting. Whooshki. Right? I mean, I, there was nothing to talk about. Saul was knocked to his knees. Who are you? Right? Peter knows who this Jesus is. He knows who he is, but he needs to meet him better at a per- more personal level. And Jesus asked, do you love me? I do. And he, do, he used a brotherly love. Phileo was the word he used. And he said, do you love me? And the third time, finally, Peter is broken. And he says, Lord, you know my heart. You know. In other words, almost like, help me love you to the level you want me to help, to, to love you. And he said, what? Feed my lambs. You know what Peter's been doing ever since the church started? Feeding those lambs. That message is the same for us. So you come to Jesus Christ, not for your benefit. It's literally for the benefit of the gospel in the outermost parts of this world. You're here because you're God's masterpiece to convert other people. Now, we've looked at two grand, grand miracles, right? I mean, and you say that's, that's, that's your release. That's the sense of, I'm not in that room. I, I can't enter that room because Peter's an apostle and he's got some stuff going on. I mean, he walks up, this guy's eight years in bed and he says, hey, in Jesus' name, get up. The guy bonks us out of bed and that's the last time. I, I don't think he went to bed for a long time, personally. <laughs> And then he goes, and he, here's this lady, Tabitha, that's been dead for 40, probably 36 to 48 hours. And he looks, he prays, and he's, I don't know what he prayed, but it was probably along this line. Lord God, I don't know what you're doing. You brought me here. These men brought me, and these women. You can tell the impact that this lady has had. It's amazing. Look what's happened here. So right now, in your will, if you want, if it's in the best interest, raise her up. And he does. And you're saying, see that, I can't, I, I, can't, I can't do that stuff. You don't have to. The only thing you have to do, I'm going to write it on the board because it's that big a deal. There's only one thing that God wants from you. Now, the first thing, if you're not a Christian, if you've not trusted Christ as Savior, then he wants you. Because the biggest battle you'll ever have in your life, ever, is to take ego, self, and to remove it and put Jesus Christ in that throne room. That's the biggest battle you'll ever have. And if you're here today and you're wrestling with that, kick self out. Because self can't save you. There's still obituaries in the paper. There's still death notices. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you for eternity. Availability. That's what he wants of you. That's literally what Dorcas, and we didn't even talk about her, right? What made her full of service? She was available. I don't, know what you, I don't know what you do best. God's given you abilities. He's given you talents. Get in the way. Get in God's way. He'll take you right where he wants you. He'll take you, and you know what? Pretty soon you're going to be so busy, you won't even have to worry about tomorrow. <laughs> I think I'm there. I've got lots of stuff going on. But I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to be right where he wants me. I want to be full of prayer. I want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that where you want to be? And the key to all of this, and you know what will happen ultimately is you will become fruitful. Fruit comes from life. And the fruit that you will bear is, remember remember the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. You can't wipe that out. There isn't one person that literally can take offense at those fruits. I mean, when's the last? Stop loving me. You have so much joy. You're sickening. 
<laughs> Why do you have peace? I hate peace. See, it's, it's, it's all contrary to what society is, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Those are awesome things, right? And you know what happens? When we are Christ-exalting, when we're available and we're involved and we pray, the fruit comes. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. And people are affected all over the world. Isn't Peter great? Now, this is the personal Peter. This is the guy that you wake up to on a Monday morning at 8 o'clock and bounce in. How you doing, Peter? This is him. This isn't this Pentecost guy that's just, whoa, he's got a sermon that blew the doors off. That Charles Haddon Spurgeon guided those five men down to the basement and showed them the real heating apparatus of that building. And unannounced, he's the guy that's leading thousands and thousands to Christ and growing. He was all about Jesus. You want fruit in your life? Start where there's life. That's the one ability that you must, you must give. Nothing else. Are you ready? God's ready. He's got stuff for you to do. Think of Peter after that. I, and then, again, I just think of that up and down. And then, Peter's life is a great inspiration to me because I know I'm him. If you look closely, I have a, sh a foot-shaped mouth. <laughs> Just like Peter. But God somehow is able to take that and it becomes a Christ-honoring, God-glorifying life that affects others. Now, you're saying, I'm sitting here, I'm, just, I'm actually feeling bad for Dorcas or Tabitha. I really am. Oh, my goodness, right? Who would want to come back, right? Ah! But look at this. God's got a bigger picture. There's a lot of things that are unexplained. There's a lot of things in my life. I turn around and look. There's some I won't share with you today that literally I just I can't figure that out. But I'm okay with that as long as I know that God's in control of my life. It's okay because he knows what's best. Look at this. Uh, Acts chapter 9, we'll finish here. Whoops, I'm in Matthew currently. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. And, and let's take a look. <clears throat> he gave up, he gave her his hand. In other words, he's going to help her. He lifts her up. And when he had called the saints, that's just everyone that's trusted Christ, and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all of the Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. The purpose of Dorcas having to come back was that many needed to know Jesus. That'll get some attention. Lazarus. Now, the impact of that, remember, remember when Lazarus was raised by Jesus? You know, everybody was upset that he didn't come like two days earlier. And when he was sick, he could have fixed him, right? He, could have, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus like, oh, let's take another rest here. Let's, let's kind of, let's, let's take a couple days off. And, and you know, the, the urgency, there's no urgency on Jesus' part, whatever. You know, have you noticed when things are tough, you, you seem more urgent than God is? With God, nothing is impossible. Mary must have thought a little bit urgently. What, I'm going to have a baby. I don't even know a man. What, the, what is this all about? Angel responds, with God, nothing is impossible. I remember I prayed with uh, Elton and Ann as they were going to, to Seattle. And part of my prayer was, I didn't think about it, was I used that. I said, right now, guys, as you're going there, the walls and the impossibilities and all of the, everything that's overwhelming you. We're serving a God that said to Mary, nothing is impossible. That's how I want to come to God. I want to be right there with him. Right there. So that's what you bring. You don't bring power. You don't bring wisdom. You don't bring anything. But when you bring availability, God can do awesome things. I look at Elijah, right? What did he do? 
He was available, literally was available, called on God for all the power. I'm going to leave you with the last verse, and I promise this is it. You say, rah, sure. <laughs> Saul, who was transformed, he's now Paul, and he tells about a, a personal situation that he was involved in. He got a vision. He was actually taken into heaven in a vision, and he saw things that would have blown my mind. And again, the sense of knowing something that's unknowable. There's something that rises up within us that could be called pride. Self-exaltation, correct? And you remember if I say Paul had a thorn in the flesh, whatever you think that is, it wasn't nice. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. So let's pick that reading up. And verse 6 is where we'll go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 6. I don't know if I told you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 6. For though I would desire to glory, I, should not be a f- I shall not be a fool, for I shall say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. What I saw, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And then, verse 9, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If somebody comes to you and says, what's the one thing you can give God? There is only one thing that you can say, and that is availability. If you bring anything else to him, you probably aren't going to be used very much. You have nothing to offer. But he wants availability. He brings the rest. Oh, can, I, can I give you one more verse? <laughs> oh, that was bad, wasn't it? Okay, okay. Uh, Ephesians chapter, oh, Ephesians is so rich in this capacity. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 3. And let's look at, I'm just, this is so, this stuff is so good. This is his prayer, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He's closing out the doctrinal side of the theological side. He said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, in us. unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That is the most powerful prayer that I literally can actually get a sensation of. The riches and the power and the fullness. He wants you to have the fullness of God. What do you have to do? Be available. What do you think of our Peter guy, right? In the Gospels, you found out what not to do. In Acts, you find out the right way to do it. That was a transformation that took a lot longer than Paul's or Saul's. But nonetheless, both of them so robust in the sense of the outcome. Do you remember Peter actually in chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, I think it is. 
He's, I'm not going there because I promised I wouldn't. <laughs> but you remember Jesus actually in John chapter 21 told him the way he would die. That he would literally be crucified. And in Peter's world, he wanted to be crucified not the same way his Savior was. He wasn't worthy of that. He was actually, tradition has it. I don't have it. It's not in the Bible. I don't know it for sure. But he was crucified upside down. I don't even know how that works. But the point of the matter was, is he did not feel worthy to be crucified, be put to death the same way as the Savior was. Now, that's exalting Christ. That's exalting Christ. That's a saint that will not let anyone worship him. That's a saint that literally, truly, 100% is available totally to God. That's Peter. He was available. But remember what Jesus said as he said that on phone. There's something there that's gold. And you say, man, if, if Jesus said to me that I would be crucified, that would be the end of my life. Oh, man, I'd be. No, you know how Peter saw it? Because remember, when he had spoken into him just a, just a small amount of time before, what had Peter done? He had denied Jesus three times. Now, Jesus had just said to him, you're, you're going to go out in the end of literally being crucified. You know what that says to Peter? I'm going to finish well. All the power comes from me anyway. If I'm available, everything else is taking care of itself. Isn't that good to know that you will finish well? That's what the scripture says. Literally, if you're in Christ Jesus, you will finish well. That's just how it works. Now, you may have ups and downs that, like Chuck Swindoll, three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. And sometimes those ones, those backward ones, you fall down. And you know who's the first to step up and pick you up? Is the doer Jesus Christ. Just be available. Questions, comments? And that, that, that seems easy, but it's not, is it? It's not. I, I can tell you a thousand reasons that Peter didn't really need to go to Lydda. He really didn't know to go to Joppa. How many times for you when somebody comes across your mind, I could pick up the phone, but I really don't want to right now? I can't tell you. When I get that inner voice, and I'm not saying 100%, you need to make that call. You need to write that letter. You need to whatever it is, because that's God working, because when you're available, he can do magnificent things. Again, I was just thinking about Elton and Ann. I had missed their call earlier that day. And, I, and, it was, and I, you know how it is? Oh, yeah, I missed that one. Well, I can't do it right now, but it was, I got to do it now. It was that, right? Pick it up, boom. And they're both right there on speakerphone. It was perfect timing. Why? Not because of me. It was because of God. That's what he wants. It's going to be a test next week. I'm going to ask you, what is the one thing you can give? And you're going to say availability. All right. With that, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for working in us today through the power of the Holy Spirit, using the scriptures to change us inside a little at a time. The transformation, Father, just that Peter had is the same thing that takes, takes place in our lives. In Philippians chapter 1, it tells us literally, Father, that you continue to work on, on us to the very end, to the glorification. Each step is given to make us a little bit more like Jesus Christ. What could be more exciting than for us when people would not see us anymore but see Jesus? To see the fruit of the Spirit unfold in our lives. There's nothing that one can argue against in the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from life. comes from the power that's within us, the fullness of God. Father, you know the needs of each one of these here today. You know some of them are in a situation that looks hopeless. It looks traumatic. But you know that need. You know that situation before they did. You're a God of the impossible. Father, right now I ask that you would just wrap your arms around that person. They need you now more than they've ever needed you. May they rest. May they relax. 
in your arms. Your arms that are so full of grace. Father, as we literally just soak in the word of God, may you grow us. May you transform us. Just like you did these two men. One of them was fast and furious. But one of them, Father, you took one that fell down, stumbled, faltered many times and gave him the keys to unlocking doors to bring the gospel to the entire world. Father, that baton has been passed to us because if we're living and we're in Christ, then our job literally is to be about Jesus' work. Father, we bring nothing to you, but may you allow us to see the importance of being available. Help us, Father, to be that. Help us to, just as Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm in strong. What a great place to be, weak and available, for then we are strong. Father, bless these people today in whatever capacity, Father, that they need you most. You know, you care, you're in charge. I pray for our nation, Father. We've faltered, we've fallen away from the Savior. We've not seen you, Father, as a creator anymore. But Jesus Christ died for every man, woman, and child. And may the Holy Spirit do the most miraculous, the most marvelous miracle, because it far exceeds literally what Peter did in bringing a man out of paralysis and bringing a woman back to life. And that is the most magnificent miracle, is a sinner coming to Christ. One at a time, Father, change our nation, change our world. May we do our part by being available. The power rests in you. We give you honor, praise, and glory. In Jesus Christ, amen.